The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. And if you would, would you please uh, turn in your copies of God's Word to Acts 6. Children, those of you who have not yet gone, you can join those children who were in the children's choir and in the worship center for a time of worship and praise and teaching. There's a note sheet that's provided, and if you'll turn in your copies of God's Word to Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at two passages this morning, Acts 2 and 2 Timothy 3, but we'll start here in Acts 2. If you're visiting and don't have a Bible, feel free to use the Pew Bible and turn with us to page 910. If you don't have a Bible, you can just take that one home with you. And please see me. I've got a study guide I'll give you also free to go with that as well. Look with me in Acts chapter 2 and in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, that's the preaching of the gospel by Peter. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, the Hebrew method, as will bear out in a couple of chapters, that's probably just counting the men. And therefore, these would have been 3,000 uh, households. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any might have need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. And having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of the Lord which has been read in your hearing abides forever. And may that word be preached for you. Please be seated. Okay, you got your note sheet? It's test time. You got to take a test. Answer two questions for me. You ready? Here's the good news. I'm not going to take up the test. All right. This is between you and the Lord and the note page. You ready? First, before I give you the two questions, that blessed catechism that I think is the best discipleship tool that's ever been developed, that blessed catechism, shorter catechism, begins with question one. 
What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, right? So what that, what that question is saying is God has done three significant acts. He has created us. He has saved us. All who have put their trust in Christ alone for salvation. He has created us. He has saved us. And every day he sustains us. In him you live and move and have your being. Now, why did God make you for his glory? Why did God save you for his glory? Why does God sustain you every day by the strength of his might for his glory? So what they're saying is this. The chief end, why did God make you? Why does God save you? Why does God sustain you? Is that you will glorify God and enjoy him. The more you enjoy him, the more you glorify him. The more you glorify him, the more you enjoy him. Now, you're ready for my two questions. Are you ready? To live an effective life that glorifies God and enjoys him, who is absolutely essential? You may put the answer down. Who, let me, I'll, I'll rephrase it. Who is absolutely essential for you to live an effective, growing life that glorifies God and enjoys him now and into eternity? Who is absolutely essential? Don't put my name there. All right. Number two. Number two, second question. For you to live an effective life to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, what is absolutely essential? What? My first question is, who is absolutely essential? For you to live an effective life, growing to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. My second question is, what? is absolutely essential for you to live a life to the glory of God and enjoy Him forever. Who, what? Going to answer it? And I'm not even going to wait to the end of the sermon to answer it. Before, I, what I want to do is to set up why those two answers are important and why and what those answers are by just reminding you a couple of things. We have been for two years in a thematic study with expositional sermons throughout the Bible on a lifestyle of evangelism and discipleship. That as a Christian, I want my life to be arranged around evangelism, leading people to Christ, discipleship, two things, being discipled and discipling others. You say, well, pastor, do I have to have a small group? No, you may not. But I'll tell you right now, parents, you want to know what parenting is? It's evangelism and discipleship. That's parenting. You want to know what um, you want to know what it means to be have good fellowship? Is to be engaged in evangelism and discipleship, a lifestyle of evangelism and discipleship. That I am being discipled and I am discipling others. Now, to do that, we've said well, you've got to in evangelism. There's a compelling message. I mean, a compelling message and a compelling messengers. People who have renounced all to follow Christ are compelling messengers of the gospel. The compelling message is the gospel of saving grace in Christ, and the compelling minister who goes with the compelling messengers and the compelling message is the Holy Spirit. 
Then we said, now, when you invite people to Christ, you don't invite them and say, now, by the way, a couple of years later, I'm going to try to spring disciples. You know, Jesus put the two things. He said, come. What's the next word? Follow me. Discipleship. And to be a disciple, you have to renounce all. Remember our, our, our little statement. Salvation is free. Discipleship cost. Everything. You have to renounce everything, everyone, and yourself to come to Christ. Then when you come to Christ, He now reconnects you to everything and everyone. But now, you're, you're, it's not them coming to Christ. Now it's you having come to Christ, who is now your life. He's not at the top of the list of your life. He is the list. And now he makes the list. Here's how I send you back as a husband. Here's how I send you back as a father. Here's how I send you back as a wife, a mother, an employer, an employee. Here's how I send you back as he disciples us in this lifestyle of discipleship. And, uh, and then so now, how does God do that? Well, God does that. Through his church. So we've got Christ's call to compelling evangelism, Christ's call to costly discipleship, and then number three, Christ's call to his church. Now, what is his call to his church? His call to his church is, here's why you exist, church. I'm giving you a mission. You do not have multiple missions. You've got one mission. And that mission is to go and make disciples of all the nations. Now, if you do your mission right and you stay on mission, on message, and in ministry, if you do that, then what you're going to do is produce Christians who become great commandment Christians. They love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and mind, and they love their neighbor as their self. So you stay on, mi on mission. How do you do that? You stay on own message, the whole counsel of God led by the gospel of grace. And how do you do that? You do that by staying in ministry. There are four ministries in a Great Commission church. And you see it right in the Great Commission. The ministry number one is evangelism. Great Commission churches are going churches. Go and make disciples. Make disciple is the imperative. Going is what you got to do to mess our ministry to the world. Evangelism. Then we've got our ministry to one another. They were baptized and they were added to the church. That's enfolding. So you evangelize. That's our ministry to the world. Enfolding. That's our ministry to one another, whereby we love one another in the body of Christ. And then number three is that you then have an equipping church. You teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And if once you once you evangelize by God's grace, once you enfold by God's grace. So our ministry of outreach to the world, evangelism, our ministry of inreach in loving one another, enfolding, our ministry of downreach and equipping one another to learn the whole counsel of God. Remember what he said? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What happens when you do that? Well, who is the perfect discipler who ever lived? This isn't hard. Jesus. He discipled him for what? Three years. And right then when he gave him the Great Commission, as soon as they saw him, what did these disciples do? They worshipped him. 
That's what happens from falling short of the glory of God. When you get saved through evangelism, enfolding and equipping, you start exalting God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. You commit yourself to worship. That's when you hit the home run. You got to get to first base evangelism. Got to get second base enfolding. You got to get to third base equipping. But you get to home plate when sinners saved by the grace of God are transformed into worshipers to the praise of God. That's on mission, on message and in ministry. So there were three things that we said you've got to remember. And that is this. The mission of the church is narrow in focus. What do we do? We are not a political organization. We are not a philanthropic organization. We are not a civic club. What are we? We are the church. What does the church do? Make disciples. Now, what happens if we stay on that mission? Here's the the next thing. The mission of the Christian is broad and comprehensive. Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. In all things, Christ is to have preeminence. What does God require of you, O man? To love justice, walk humbly with, uh, love justice, do, wait a minute, love mercy, do justice and walk humbly with your God. But Christians can't do that broad and comprehensive mission if the church gets off mission. We have to stay on mission. We have to stay on mission, on message and in ministry. So that's our third point. That the, 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 if the church does not stay committed to its mission, narrow in focus, then we can't produce Christians and Christians will not be able to, to do their message, which is broad and comprehensive. Let me let me put it this way. Let me let me just say a bald statement here. <laughs> bald. I don't like that word, um, but let me give a bald statement here. Listen, this will get somebody's attention. The church doesn't exist to transform the culture. That's not why we exist. That's the evidence of our existence. That's not why we exist. We exist to transform sinners with the gospel by evangelism and discipleship. Now, when a sinner gets transformed by the gospel, what happens? He's a different man. He's a different woman. He's a different husband. He's a different wife. No, she's a different wife. He's a he's a they're different parents. They're different. They're different employees. They're different employers. They're different citizens. They understand public policy in the public square, sanctity of life, sanctity. They understand all those things. Why? They're being equipped with the whole counsel of God, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. They have this broad, comprehensive life. That impacts. Here's what Jesus called them. Disciples become the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's broad and comprehensive, but that'll never happen unless the church stays on its mission. Stays on its message and stays in its ministry. Does that make sense? Just grasp that because the more the church is under fire in a secular post-Christian nation, the more the church is going to tend to to change its mission and its message to be accepted by that culture. You've got to stay on mission. You've got to stay on message and you've got to stay in ministry.
Now, what we said was at Briarwood to try to do this, we're going to try to come up with uh, some basic discipleship tools. We're calling them foundations. And there are five of them. Each one of these will have curriculum around it for weeks in small groups and congregational communities. We covered one last week. It was called Christianity 101. One of the things that we're going to do in the in other words, let me say this. All of you that are here, if you're a member of Briarwood, I want you to get through this. I, listen, if I got to be the bloodhound from heaven, I'm going to track you down. Are you in this? Every congregational community, God willing, and producing small groups and men's ministry and women's ministry. We're going to get this covered and you're going to get through these five foundational elements. And the first one. It's Christianity 101. Everybody's a theologian. What is eternal life? That you know God. That's theology. That you know God and his son, Jesus Christ. So last week we said we want to. Here's what we said about. Um, well, let me let me go ahead and keep doing this. The second thing we want to do is what we're looking at today. How do you know? How do you know uh, God and his word? The, that's the disciplines of grace, the means of grace, how to grow in grace. Number three. There's that stewardship where Christ is preeminent in all things, lifestyle stewardship, that all of life, you're a steward of your family, you're a steward of the gospel, you're a steward of your finances, you're a steward of your time, you're a steward of relationships, you're a steward of the church. Stewardship, lifestyle stewardship. Number four is Personal evangelism, everybody evangelizing everybody everywhere or everyone evangelizing everybody everywhere every day. In other words, praise the Lord. Many of us were educated in EE, but when you get through with this, you're educated in EEEEE. Everyone evangelizing everybody everywhere every day. And then number five, worship, home run. How do you have lifestyle worship and how do you have gathered worship? That that's that's the home run. So what I've done is just take each Sunday to look at one of these with you. And last Sunday was Christianity 101. And here's what we said last Sunday about Christianity 101. The objective of evangelism is eternal salvation. The objective of discipleship in, is life transformation. By the Spirit of God with the Word of God. Beginning with the gospel of grace, which is the foundation, the formation, and the motivation of the Christian life. Now, you don't end with the... Listen, you never go beyond the gospel, but the gospel is not just the basic statement. Jesus died for your sins. Come and receive him. The gospel... You never get beyond the gospel, but you do go deeper. You do go higher. You do go wider. You do go further with the gospel. As it penetrates Every area of life, it's the foundation, it's the formation, it's the motivation of the Christian life as you are taught all that he has commanded you in a gospel framework of how to live for Christ, how to live not for salvation, but how to live for your Savior who has done his work of redemption for your salvation. We covered five. Here's the five things that we're going to cover in Christianity 101. What is truth? The doctrine of Scripture. Who is God? The doctrine of God. Who is man? Made in the image of God. The doctrine of man. What went wrong? Sin. How do you get it back right? The gospel. Those are the five basic elements of Christianity 101. But how, how do you get it? 
Now that's the day. Would you go with me to this? I'm going to do this rapidly, so stay, hang with me. I want to be timely, so hang with me. All right. Foundation number two. Foundation number two is the means of grace. Now it's time for me to answer those two questions. Who, for you to live the great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself, for you to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, who is absolutely necessary for you to live that life? Come on, you know who He is? Holy Spirit. You gotta be surrendered. You gotta be filled. You gotta walk in the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. Keeping step in the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Surrender to the Spirit. What is absolutely essential? For you to be able to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The Word of God. The Christian life doesn't come from going to Lake Martin, sitting on the side and contemplating your navel. That's not where it happens. Study to show yourself approved as a workman. Who does not need to be ashamed. Handling accurately the word of truth. It is the word of God. You've got to know it. You don't know your God. And be able to do what you just sung. Behold him accurately. And with proper adoration and affection. Without the word of God. You don't know how to know him. You don't know how to make him known. Without the word of God. You don't know God by intuition. You don't know God by philosophical speculation. You know God by divine revelation. God has revealed himself in his word. And there are no shortcuts, folks. None at all. That how, how can I get my, that word that make in Christianity 101, that word that I'm going to go to the scriptures, God, man, sin, salvation. Where do I find that out? You find that out in the word of God and the word of God. It can only be embraced savingly and effectively by the spirit of God who is at work within your life. The Word of God and the Spirit of God at work within you. So here's what I want to do, and just take a minute to do this. This deserves so much treatment, and we're going to give it much more treatment. Weeks. We'll put some weeks on this. What are these disciplines of grace? Well, there's the public and there's the private. The public means of grace and growth. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 47 that you just read. And may I just do this? Speaking of catechism, do you know what you just, what you and I just confessed up there? Questions, oh yeah, Pastor, I think it's questions 88, 89, and 90 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. You're right. Here's what we just said. What are the outward and ordinary means by which Christ gives us the benefits of redemption? Do you hear what we just said? The ordinary and outward means by which Christ gives us the benefits of redemption and are his ordinance, especially the word, sacrament and prayer. And these are made effective in the salvation that is to be saved and to grow 
as a saved man or woman, the elect of God. How does that happen? Through the word and prayer and sacraments and those ordinances that God has ordained to get that word into your life. Pastor, how is that word made effective to salvation? Well, those means are only effective when this happens. The Spirit of God makes the reading and especially the preaching of the Word an effective means of convincing and converting sinners and building them up in the holiness and comfort through faith to salvation. Do you believe that? I tell you, God so believed that. And establish that. That he gave the gift of preachers to his church. And then he takes something as sacred as what you just gave. The tithe. And he says here. Take the tithe and use it to support the preacher. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. It's so important. Not the preachers. Hear me? I didn't say the preacher's important. I said it's the preaching. And the preachers to work hard at it. And the people are directed by God to give them means of support so that the hours that are needed can be spent on the knee and in the study for the preparation of that word. Why? It is of effective, ordained means to get what is essential into the hearts and lives of God's people. My heart desire when I preach and when you worship and when baptism takes place and the Lord's Supper is observed and when we pray and when we confess and when we sing the word of God, my heart desire is not that you go away. Oh, wasn't that wonderful? Not that you go away and say to me, Pastor, good sermon. Oh, it's okay if you say that, but that's not my objective. And that's not God's objective. God's objective is that your life is changed. Transformed. The building up, the converting conviction and building up of God's people in holiness through faith and salvation. How is this word to how is this word to be read and heard so that it becomes effective to salvation? Now he turns to you. We must attend to the word with diligence, prioritize it with preparation, with prayer, receive it in faith and love, lay it up in our hearts, practice it in our lives so that it may become effective unto salvation in our life. Holding fast. He tells the church, hold forth the word. He tells his people, hold fast. To the word. Well, one of those places you get a chance to see this is right here in Acts 2. Kind of look at it this way, if you would. Luke writes the gospel of Luke, and he's one of those that keep give us the great commission and the risen savior. Five times he gives the great commission, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And in the book of Acts, after his resurrection and prior to his ascension. And then he tells them, he says, now, here's your great commission. But don't go do it till you go back up to that upper room. Get on your knees in prayer and I'll send the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Holy Spirit comes, you'll be my witnesses in power. In other words, you can't do the Great Commission without the Spirit of God. And you can't do the Great Commission without the Word of God. 
And you can't make disciples or be a disciple without the Spirit of God and the Word of God. So what I want you to do, I want you to go up there and go to prayer. And then when prayer came upon them and the Holy Spirit came upon them, what did they do? They started preaching and reading the Word of God in the highways, in the byways, on Temple Mount, in the streets, all over Jerusalem. What happens? The 120 are exponentially grow into 3,000 households in that one day. And then he says, now, stop. You ever watched a movie? They can do this now so wonderfully in technology. You're kind of watching a movie and they want you to get something and they do a still, a freeze frame. And then Luke does a freeze frame right here. A freeze frame. The church at Jerusalem. You're going to see it again at Antioch. You're going to see it again at Ephesus. You're going to see it again at Romans. The freeze frame right here. What do you see? You see a church that, you remember that? It's on mission. It's on message. It's in ministry. They're preaching the gospel. They're on mission. They're making disciples. They're in ministry. What were the four ministries? Worship. They were praising God. In the temple and house to house. What's another ministry? Evangelism. The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. What's another ministry? Loving one another. They loved one another so much they would even sell their possessions and property to help one another and distribute it to one another. They not only worship, they not only evangelize, they not only love one another, they were discipling, teaching. And if you want to see ground zero... Ground zero is the means of grace. Would you look at that Acts 2 and just look at one verse? What, where does that worship come from? Where does that evangelism come from? Where does that love come from? It comes from right here, Acts 2.42. And, and the disciples were what? Continue, underline that, please. Continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to, to the fellowship and the ESV gets it right. The definite article belongs there. It, they were giving themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread. Not breaking of bread. In the original, it's the breaking of the bread. We're not looking at a hospitality meal. We're looking at the Lord's Supper. It's the breaking of the bread and to the prayers. Here is a church committed to its mission and its message by engaging and providing the means of grace ordained by God, his ordinances. Harry, why are you emphasizing that? The means of grace is not what we do to get to God. It's what God has ordained to get to us. These aren't merits of grace. Well, if I get in the Bible, God's going to love me. No, this is what God has ordained his word and his. Can you think of it this way? Here is Jesus in the heavens, the fountain of grace. Here's old Harry, sinner saved by grace. And I need that grace from Jesus. Jesus, you're in heaven. I need your grace in me because I want from me to flow rivers of living water. I want from Briarwood to flow rivers of living water. Jesus, how do we get that grace from you into us and in us and through us to the world? How do we do that? And Jesus says, don't worry, Harry, I got this covered. I got two conduits from me to you. The Spirit of God and the Word of God. And the river of grace is going to flow from me, the fountain, into you.
and from you. Well, and you know what I've done? You know those two conduits? I have them where I've got little water fountains you can drink from. I've got spigots that you can turn on. The word of God and the spirit of God through the preaching of that word. The reading of that word, meditating on that word, singing that word, fellowshipping around that word. There's the way that you drink from the conduits that come from me. The spirit, the spirit of God, and the word of God work together. Put no confidence in the flesh. It is the spirit who gives life. My words are spirit and life. You can't profit from God's word without God's spirit. And you can't profit from God's spirit without God's word. God's Spirit works with the Word. Now, I cannot send the Spirit. I just cannot do that. Man, I remember being at East Carolina working in tobacco fields, and I can remember just, you talking about hot, forget the last two weeks. Just go stand in that tobacco field, and I just, just a zephyr, please, Lord, send the wind. I could clap my hands all day. I couldn't get a breeze. But the wind of God, the spirit of God, here's what I do know. I can't clap my hands and send him, but I can open up the Bible because that's where he always works. That's where he works. And so the word of God and the spirit of God together where and he says, let me give you four ways in a mission, a church on mission to drink of the word and the spirit. Number one is the apostles teaching. That's the word of God proclaimed. Number two is the fellowship. That's the word of God shared in the spirit of God. The word of God preached by the spirit of God. They gave themselves their attention to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship. What is fellowship? It is our ability to speak and act with truth and love. You can't, you and I can't share in fellowship until we know the word of God preached to us. The orders is crucial. The word proclaim, then at least the fellowship, the word shared, there's a means of grace. Then I get number three, the word displayed. In baptism and the Lord's Supper, we have the ordinances that display the gospel. We just saw baptism in a couple of weeks. We're going to have the Lord's Supper. And there is the word displayed. So you got the word preached. You got the word displayed. You got the, I mean, the word shared and then the word displayed. And then what? The prayers. That's the word returned. That's how you learn to pray according to God's will, his revealed will in his word. And so you now, you see, note the plural, the prayers you got set prayers, spontaneous prayers, formal prayers, informal prayers, praise prayers, petition prayers, public prayers, private prayers. And God's word teaches you and me how to pray. And it also teaches me to pray how often? Daily. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. By the way, notice the plural. We're in this together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's the next phrase? Give us this day our... Well, if you're praying for daily bread every day, what is that telling you? You're praying every day. See, he's expecting you to be praying every day. 
And so, but you can't pray divorce from hearing God's word. So hearing God's word, then you're fellowshipping, sharing God's word. And that's a means of grace. Then in worship, you see God's word displayed. The word of God defines the Lord's. If you don't have the word of God preached and the Lord's supper and baptism just become meaningless rituals. Then you've got prayer. Now we know how to pray according to God's will, his revealed will. So you see, these are the public means of grace that are working. But here's one more thing. One more thing from that. Go back to that. They were continually devoted. I love the way one commentator commented on that. A church that makes disciples is a church that creates addicts. A-D-D-I-C-T-S, in case you can't understand Southern. A church that makes disciples creates addicts. They're addicted to God's Word. They're continually devoted. It's not sports that calls the shot. It's not alcohol that calls the shot. It's not sex that calls the shot. In fact, this addiction helps you get rid of the sinfulness of those addictions. You are addicted to God's Word. So, folks, that's what I'm asking you. Join with me right here at Briarwood. Every time somebody comes in that door, the Lord says, they're not going to see a movie vignette up here. What they're going to do is hear God's Word read, hear God's Word preached, hear God's Word sung, hear God's Word prayed, hear God's Word confessed, hear God's Word responded. They're going to be saturated with God's Word. And we're going to call and ask God by His Spirit to be in our midst. And the Spirit of God and the Word of God exalt the Son of God to the praise of, the, of God the Father. And that God's words at work so that we can be on mission, on message, in ministry. The means of grace are here it's not what can I was going to say something I can't say it's not what puts people in the pew it's what God has ordained to do something to the people that are in the pew and then those people when they leave the pew take it as the salt of the earth and the light of the world into this world and that's so you and I realize that that's that public means of grace. Just one other thing. I got to do this quickly. Turn with me to Second Timothy, chapter three. What I just said to you, can I say something to you? What I just said to you about a church that's addicted to God's word is going to be absolutely meaningless unless you personally want to be addicted to God's word. That's why Paul says to Timothy before he dies, this is the last thing he wrote. He said to him this, and I'll just finish with this reading and I'll give you the takeaway. Here's the here's the reading. Second Timothy chapter three. And he says this to go down to verse seven, go down to verse 14. But as for you, Timothy, continue. Oh, oh, there's that word. What does that what did the church at Jerusalem do? They were continually devoted. Now, look at the private means of grace. You got a church addicted to the word and the spirit. And now he says to us personally, you personally need to be addicted to what you continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the scripture, the Bible, 
the sacred writings, which are able to give you salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. He's telling him, Timothy, not only do I want you to pastor churches that are addicted to God's word and surrendered to God's spirit and use the means of grace, preaching, fellowship, sacraments, prayer, but I want you personally to, I want you to be marinated in God's word. I want you to be immersed in God's word. I want you to be given to God's word. I want you to continue. I want you personally addicted to God's word, Timothy. Why? Because that word that's proclaimed and shared and displayed and, and returned in prayer, that word, that word is a saving word. It can make you wise unto salvation. It's a saving word. That's why. Secondly, it's a nurturing word. It'll grow you. It'll not only save you, it'll grow you in grace. Continue that you can grow in that word which was used to make you wise unto salvation. Now you're going to grow in it. You're going to be equipped and competent for every good work. Thirdly, it's a divine word. Do you see that down to verse 16? All scripture is what? God breathed. Theo neustos. It's a unique word. It's not found anywhere else. God breathed. Folks, in other words, oh my goodness. In other words, listen to me. Listen to me. This is God speaking to you. Did Samuel believe that? What did Samuel say? Speak, O Lord. Your servant listens. What did the prophet say? Thus saith the Lord. What did Paul say? I'm glad you did not receive this as the word of men, but as the word of God, which it actually is. What did Jesus say in the wilderness? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So tomorrow morning or tomorrow evening, when you go for that Bible, God's speaking. This is his word. He has spoken it. Now, you can come up to me and, and um, I'll, you know, and I'll say, yeah, um, yeah. Remember when I told you, Pastor, you didn't tell me that. Yeah, I did. No, you didn't. Oh, I forgot to tell you, there is nothing that God has forgotten to say to you. All scriptures inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Everything you need. It's not only a sacred word. It's not only a saving word. It's not only a nurturing word. It is a sufficient word. All that you need for godliness is found in this word. And so you are personally committed to it and engaged in it with all of your heart. Now do you understand why? When they had got into trouble and some of the widows were overlooked in mercy. And they were going to solve the problem. The apostles said something. We must not neglect the ministry of prayer and the word. 
to serve the tables. They were not denigrating mercy ministry. They were telling you mercy ministry, like every other ministry, is downstream from the means of grace. Stay in it. Prayer and the word. In other words, when they said what they're telling you is, you know why we didn't do a good job? We need some deacons to help us. But to do a better job, we'd have to neglect prayer and the word. And we can't do that. They were the elders of the church. And their whole schedule was around prayer and the word. Everything else was put in. Do you know what most of us do? Our whole schedules are around everything else. And then we try to put in prayer and the word. And that's why if leaders do not build their lives around prayer and the word, you're not going to have addicted Christians in the pews. Prayer and the word. It's not something we just accommodate periodically. It is something that is built into our life. So here's the takeaway. I'll finish with it. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, that is, it, the means of grace, reading it, preaching it, the sacraments and fellowship, these means of grace and growth is simply yet profoundly the desire to be an answer to the prayer of Jesus from the heart of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I, uh, I love it when he says, continue in what you have learned, knowing from whom you have learned. Who did he learn? Who did Timothy learn from besides Paul? His what? Lois and Eunice, mother and grandmother. As I was studying, thinking about that, boy, was that resonating within me. I remember my granddaddy. My granddaddy was part of a prayer team that brought um, a revival um, to um, North Carolina. Billy Graham was saved and all that happened. That, that group of men continued in a Bible study. And when I was a little kid, just eight years old, my granddaddy took me because they would bring their sons and their grandsons to this Bible study. And then they told the grandsons, the, the fathers and grandfathers would tell the sons and grandsons, you got to memorize John 1. And I had to memorize it and see it in front of all of these men. And it was with me forever. And I thank God for my grandmother. She, her name was Lois. And I'd get home, and we used to do things back then called sing scripture songs. And I can remember it. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't Jesus, my Lord, wonderful? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard all that is recorded for us in God's Word. Isn't Jesus, my Lord, wonderful? And then I thank God for my daddy and my mama. I can't even imagine a Sunday getting up and asking this question. Are we going to church? That was a given. And the second given was they picked out a church that was word saturated. Can I tell you something else? My daddy and mother went to the far country for 14 years. Do you know how that started? They began to have other things in place of the means of grace. That's how it started. But I remember when I was growing up, it was there. And there we went. And then in my deepest, darkest days of dissipation, folks, I'm not going to give you anything but this sentence. 
I was an ungodly, blasphemous man, addicted to blasphemy, addicted to profanity, addicted to immorality, addicted to gambling, addicted to alcohol, addiction after addiction after addiction. God, by His grace, broke in. But even before I was converted, I can remember in those days in the deepest, darkest places, Hearing my grandmother's song, remembering John chapter 1, all of those, not all of them, but many of those sermons resonating in my heart that my dad and mom thought I was not hearing. And the Holy Spirit started drawing me to himself. And then when I was converted, I got a new addiction. I just wanted God's word. And the other addictions began to leave by God's grace, some faster than others. But I praise God for them. So, I won't, here's my simple thing. I want Briarwood, and I want you, and I want me to be in. You ever heard somebody come up to you and say, does God answer prayer? What do you tell them? Absolutely. Got to do one thing, and I'm going to close with this. I want you and me and Briarwood to not only know God answers prayer, I want us to be an answer to Jesus' prayer. Here's what he prayed. Seven requests in John 17. The most obvious one. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus, sanctify us. Disciple us by your spirit with the truth. Your word is the truth. Let's pray. Let's let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. Today you're here and you say, Pastor, I, that word has just invited me and called me to Jesus who came to save me from my sins. And I want to pray with someone. Yeah, folks, just pray. Come to him. He's ready to receive you. And there are folks that will be right up here at the front. You just come up here. And they'll be glad to spend personal, confidential time with you in prayer. But brothers and sisters, the rest of you that know Jesus, would you just simply today say, God, make us an answer to the prayer of Jesus. We want to be a church where the word of God is preached, fellowshiped, displayed and prayed, sung and confessed. And we want to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Fill us, O Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.